This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. Alex Cloen is my guest today. She is the Case and Community Coordinator for Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains, the organization that helps resettle refugees in Greeley, Colorado. Alex is one of the lucky ones. She found her dream job right out of college, and she excels at it. She's incredibly knowledgeable, humble, compassionate, and eloquent about her work and the people she serves. Even though I had previously heard of LFSRM, I had no idea of their huge impact in the community, and especially in the lives of the refugees they help resettle. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. It is wonderful to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Corey. I'm excited. I think this will be fun. Awesome. I am about to learn so much, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I didn't already know this, even though I worked with so many refugees. So I'm really looking forward to learning what it is so many of my students have had to go through in their journey. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people don't know is happening right in their own neighborhoods and own backyards. So it is very exciting to be able to show people that there are people going through this crazy process right next to them. Yes. And can you please um, tell everybody your name and the organization you work for? Yeah. So my name is Alex Cloen. I work for Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains. Um, I am in the Greeley Refugee and Asylum Programs office in Greeley, Colorado. Excellent. Okay. Well, before we dive into the deep stuff, um, I have been asking a lot of my guests from different organizations um, who their favorite superhero is and why. Um, And the reason I do that is one, to kind of set a light mood at the beginning, because a lot of what we talk about is kind of heavy. Um, And on a second note, I also think that a lot of people who dedicate their lives to working for the marginalized are living kind of superhero lives, in my opinion. So that's why I like to see who you love the most as a superhero. Well, and I was, I've never really been a movie buff, which I find kind of an embarrassing fact about myself because I wish I was cultured in that way. Um, So with that, my favorite superhero is Underdog, which is a little cartoon that I grew up watching. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I just always thought he was so cute and so fun and just always rooting for the underdog. So it kind of worked out. (laughs) I totally remember Underdog. That's fantastic. I love it. I love that you went with something other than a DC comic or Marvel. You went in a whole different direction. An underdog is somebody that a lot of us can relate to. So that's great. Yeah. How did Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains or LFSRM begin helping refugees resettle in the United States? Could you give us a brief history of the beginnings of this organization, please? I can, and it's a little bit complicated, so I will try to simplify. Thank you. Um, We started as Lutheran Social Services in Denver. We were mostly adoption. Um, I believe that was in the 1950s. 
1975, we opened our first refugee resettlement office, mm -hmm. and that was actually in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Okay. Um, and 1975 was five years before the United States Refugee Act of 1980, which made refugee resettlement a federal program. So refugee resettlement was happening before that. Social problems were happening before that, and people mm -hmm. were being displaced, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're actually a very large agency at LFSRM. We, in addition to resettling refugees, we have programs in adoption, foster care, disaster response, and then several other family support programs. Mm -hmm. um, so our Greeley office is one of the three refugee resettlement offices in Colorado. We also have one in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so we're in Greeley, Denver, Colorado Springs. Greeley office opened in 2008. Okay. And that's when Somali refugees started moving into Greeley, Colorado to work at the meat packaging plant. Mm -hmm. um, the meat packaging plant had actually just undergone an ice raid and ICE had removed a lot of the workers at JBS that did not have documentation. Oh. And so that is actually a huge moment in Greeley's history. There's, mm -hmm. um, a, there's been studies about it and how it like deeply infected, uh, affected oh. our culture. I imagine. And so, yeah, and tragic and tearing families apart, so it's very sad. Yeah. Um, but that is when refugees started moving and JBS started focusing on hiring refugees because they have that documentation while still wanting to work a JBS meat packaging plant type job. Mm -hmm. So we opened in response to that and then refugees began being resettled directly into Greeley, Colorado. Okay. Um, another important note about Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains is we are part of a bigger VOLAG, which is a voluntary agency that contracts with the government to resettle refugees. Okay. So the agency that we're associated with is Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. Okay. Yeah, and they're a much larger organization. There's nine voluntary organizations. They're one of them. Um, and they have been resettling refugees since 1939. So they've seen Germans after World War II. They've seen Cubans during Castro's regimen. Um, Southeast Asians at the Vietnam War. So they've really been through it all. Wow. Why have, this might sound like a dumb question, why yeah. have the Lutherans taken such an interest in helping immigrants and refugees? Sure. Um, and Catholics are also in it. Um, so are Episcopal migrant ministries. And so there is several different subsets of churches okay. that are interested in it. But I think Lutherans have a very strong value of inclusivity and of helping our neighbor. And so immigrants and refugees is a very strong um, aspect of the Lutheran church and the Lutheran faith and what they believe in. So I think it's been, it's been really great because we do work with a lot of Lutheran churches in the community and they're just always so accepting and so welcoming of these people. So it, you can really tell that it is a aspect of their religion and the culture of Lutherans that is important. That's really positive to hear about the inclusivity of the Lutherans and Catholics and Episcopals. And I'm glad yeah. there's people out there doing their, that work and sounds like volunteering a lot too. Yeah, definitely. And a big part of my job is working with the community churches. And I've just been so pleased with how great they have been with supporting mm -hmm. us. Well, speaking of your job, uh, what is your role at LFSRM? And did you always want to work with refugees? Could you describe your educational path that led you to where you are? 
Yeah, so my job title is Case and Community Coordinator at Lutheran Family Services. So I, part of my job is as the case coordinator, I actually take a family of clients after they have gone through that initial refugee resettlement services. Um, so they've got all of their basic needs covered and we do what's called a well-being inventory and plan. And so that's basically encouraging the clients to map their own path to success in the United States um, wow. by choosing their own resettlement process. And it's also kind of getting them to imagine a life that's past just that survival instinct that they have all been set on for so long. Um, wow so that we can kind of imagine a better future, get them past self-sufficiency into, you know, a better life and improve uh -huh. their life. So that's the fun part that I get to do yeah. with every single client. Um, and in addition to that, I do, I learned Spanish in college. So I am the main case manager for all of our Spanish clients. We have a program called TVAP, so Trafficking Victims Assistance Program. So anybody who has been brought to the United States through force or coercion, is granted the ability to remain in the United States and be treated kind of like a refugee and get resettlement. So, wow, I didn't know that. Spanish speakers through that. I know it's it's crazy the different aspects. So we don't just do refugees. Uh -huh. We do asylees. Um, Cuban entrants are like asylees, but they're just slightly treated different in the system. And then there's also special immigrant visas, which are people from Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. who come to the United States through the refugee resettlement program, but they're not exactly refugees. They were actually helping the United States in times of war. And mm -hmm. so they could be persecuted by their own country because of that. And they're given resettlement in the United States. That's fantastic. Before you move on, may I interrupt you to ask if you can explain for us the difference between an immigrant, a refugee, and an asylee? Yeah. So a refugee, first of all, is somebody who, in general, they have had to flee their home country for reasons of persecution. Um, that's based on race, religion, ethnicity, membership of a certain social group. And they are displaced from their home. They have fled to the border of their home country. They've left their home country. And they are declared an official refugee by the United Nations. Mm -hmm. um, so when a refugee comes to the United States, they were already a refugee before they were in the U.S., we bring them to the U.S. through the refugee resettlement program. Okay. An asylee is somebody who comes to the United States on their own. And when in the United States, they apply for asylum, which is saying, I have been forced out of my home for the same reasons that a refugee has been forced out. Mm -hmm. um, but instead of going through the refugee process, they attempt to enter directly and get that grant of asylum here in the U.S. So it's a very similar program. Um, it's just a different pathway depending on pretty much where you came from. So people from Latin America are more likely to apply for asylum because they don't have the same refugee pass that people in other countries do. It's just okay. kind of dependent on where you live. An immigrant can, they will apply to come to the United States when outside of the United States. So they will apply for maybe like a working visa. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to go through that whole process to come to the United States. And that's based on more merit or family reunification, more okay. than need of not being able to live in your home country. Excellent. Thank you for explaining the difference for all of us. Yeah. All right. So back to your path of how you got involved with yeah. 
S. I totally got sidetracked. Yeah. That's okay. It was (laughs) my fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Um, So that was the half of my job is the case coordination. The other half of my job is community coordination. So I work with the volunteers, the interns, and the churches in our community. Um, And so that was actually what I was first hired at LFS to do was just that community side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was hired for 30 hours a week right out of college. And then eventually, after a couple months, I got put on full-time with these extra job duties. Um, So this is actually my first job out of college. I have been here for two years. Mm -hmm. I went to school at the University of Northern Colorado in the same city as where I work now. Um, I studied, uh, my major was sociology, and I had two minors. It was political science and Spanish. And I really made sure that I was able to learn Spanish in a way that I could use it in the future, Mm -hmm. at my future career. Um, in college, I interned at United Way, and then I did volunteering for local ESL classes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of when I got interested in refugee resettlement and working in the refugee world. I always knew that I had this like intense appreciation for multiculturalism, and I just loved being surrounded by different cultures and experiencing that. Mm-hmm. And so my goal was always to be able to kind of allow those cultures to flourish within a community. And I think that kind of just led me down to refugee resettlement. That's a fantastic goal. I love that. I want to steal that from you. I just, I love that. (laughs) And you got, it sounds like your job was custom made for you from what you studied in school to what you get to do. It's a perfect fit. I was so lucky to find this job. I was studying abroad in Spain and I applied because I was like, Oh my gosh, I've, ran out of money. I'm about to graduate. Like I'm going to need a job. And it just happened to be in the exact city where I, where I was living. And it was, I was just so lucky to to find it right in time. That's awesome. How many refugees has LFSRM helped resettle here in the Greeley Evans area? Yeah. So I did pull these numbers. Um, I'm not sure how accurate I can be. I can give you the numbers of direct refugee resettlement that we've done. Okay. Since we opened in Greeley, we've resettled 1,347 new refugees. Wow. Um, Since 2008. Since 2008. Yeah. That's a huge number, actually. It is. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it is crazy to think that. Um, But that's not the only clients that we get, right? So... A refugee that has been resettled in another state or another city can move freely in the United States. So they will move to Greeley to find work or to join with family members or their community. Um, And they can seek out help from LFS to help start their lives in Greeley as well. So Mm -hmm. that would be another subset of clients that we get. I think in the last three years, that has averaged about 70 new refugees in Greeley as secondary refugees Mm -hmm. per year. Um, and then we get victims of trafficking, asylees, um, Cuban entrants that are also not counted in those numbers. Those would be lesser okay. populations too. Have you seen a, a rather large decline since this current administration? Yeah, we have. Um, so I did pull that number as well. Um, in fiscal year 2016, that was the prior administration mm-hmm. and that was kind of more normal along more normal lines of how many refugees we were resettling. We resettled 264 new refugees in that fiscal year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with this new regimen, we 
In fiscal year 2018, it resettled 95 new refugees. Fiscal year 2019 was 70, and this current fiscal year has obviously been, the number is less, mm -hmm. of course, and COVID-19 hit, and that became a travel ban on mm -hmm. all new refugees unless it was an emergency. So this fiscal year, we've resettled 15. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That must be hard for you to watch, knowing that there is still such a need out there. Yeah, it it very much is hard. And the United Nations just put out a new new numbers, and they discovered that 1% of the entire world population is displaced, which oh. is just crazy, Like the, which is the worst it's ever been. And I yes. think our conversation in the United States is not realizing that there is this global issue happening. Mm -hmm. um, also, and it's not the refugee fault. No, definitely not. It's a lot of, not to be too political, but it's a lot of countries that are meddling with refugee producing countries' fault. You know, it's not mm -hmm. these people that are forced to flee because of conflict. It's, mm -hmm. it's the people making the conflict, of course. Yes, yes, um, as always. Yeah, as always. Um, we also, a huge part of refugee resettlement is family reunification. Um, we have refugees here that are so happy to be living in the United States, but their parents or their children are still at the refugee camps mm -hmm. trying to go through the process of refugee resettlement. Mm -hmm. So to have these numbers slow down so much is very disheartening to <gasps> family yes. members here already. Yeah, it's such a hard process. And it's so rare to be able to resettle to a third country. So when you get that opportunity, you have to take it. And once you have that opportunity, it's easier for your family members to be chosen as the mm -hmm. next ones. So mm -hmm. it's a sacrifice and it's extremely scary and extremely hard, but you know, your whole family can have a better life if you do this. So it's just, you would feel like your life's on pause for so mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. So after a refugee gets chosen through UNHCR, mm -hmm. Is that the organization that reaches out to you to say, these are the refugees being sent to your state? Or how are you given the refugees that you're given? Yeah, good question. Um, and this is, again, something that people don't really understand. Um, so when a refugee is in a refugee camp, they have the option to apply for third country resettlement. And they apply with the United Nations. So. Mm -hmm. Those applications go in, and then the United Nations will refer them to a certain country. Okay. Um, once they are referred to that country, they are they start going through the vetting process. The vetting process can take two or more years, and it goes through five different federal agencies. Um, they're just they're gathering all the personal identifying information of these people. They're checking to see if they're connected to any bad actors, if they have any watches on themselves or any criminal history. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add a lot of that information from UNHCR um, and what the vetting process is like to the show notes so that if people yeah. want to dig deeper, they can go there. But I appreciate you explaining what you already Great. know about it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so once they pass that vetting process, they are going to be referred to one of the nine VOLAGs. So Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services is our VOLAG. Okay. Um, so once they're referred to that, the VOLAG helps them get a health screening and helps them get a little bit of a cultural orientation, like a pre-cultural orientation before they come to the United States. And then they prepare their travel documents. The VOLAG will then book a flight for that client. 
to come to the United States. And it's pretty far ahead and it does take a long time for all of this process to happen. Um, once the flight is booked, we get a little notification through our system that a flight travel has been added for a client that's going to be resettled in Greeley. And so that's how Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains knows that a new client is coming. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado, making Northern Colorado a home for all who live here. Whatever circumstances brought you to Northern Colorado, we are so glad you're here now. IRC NOCO is here to help you find your way. We want to be the doorway through which cross-cultural sharing and experiences occur. Whether you are new to this area or you are a part of the receiving community, we want to be your resource for information and services related to moving our community forward together. Through information sharing, dialogue, and events where we can all come together as one, we are investing into our shared prosperity. Empower. Connect. Advocate. Learn more at www.ircnoco.org. Okay, so once they get here, could you walk me through? I'm your new refugee. Yeah. What is the process from you greet me at the airport or do you send somebody else to come pick me up? Do I have to pay you back for my ticket? Like what, what <laughs> I'm new, what, what's happening? Great. So before you even come, we've talked to your family members that are already in the U.S. Um, if you have them, they are going to prepare a hot and ready meal for you when you reach Greeley, a culturally appropriate meal. Um, we will actually have already spoken with landlords in the community and rented out an apartment for you. We have a huge storage unit full of donations from the community of items to set up their apartment. So I will email all of our volunteers. We'll get volunteers together. We will move in the family's apartment before they arrive so that they have a place to sleep. Um, once the apartment is ready, the case manager goes to the airport meets the family as they're getting off the plane. So they're actually allowed to go through security and be waiting on that side. Um, the family gets off the plane, we greet them, drive them back to Greeley, and they get to reunite with their family members and eat their meal. And then we kind of just give them a little bit of time to relax, hang out, um, and sleep because it's many, many hours of traveling. Mm -hmm. It's very exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then over the next couple days, it's a, the first 90 days is the most intensive. They will get two health screenings to, um, kind of just get up to date with United States health. So get all of your vaccines, get all of your tests, make sure that you're healthy and have all the medication you need. Um, we help get social security cards. We apply for food stamps and Medicaid immediately so that they can have insurance and so that they can, you know, be supported for food in the very beginning before they have had time to adjust and get a job. Wow. We enroll them in English classes. Um, we do our own form of cultural orientation here. So we orient them to the community, how to ride the bus, um, when to go to a doctor's versus the hospital, and a lot of different things that you would never mm -hmm. even realize is mm -hmm. not second nature. It's actually cultural. Something I, I learned a couple years ago was the police orientation, how so many people are coming from other cultures where you're not allowed to, to trust the police or the police, you have to bribe them constantly. And yeah. so they have to like 
learn about this is how our police culture is and yeah. don't give them money. Also, <laughs> true, true. It could lead to a big misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, we've also had an experience of like, when do you call the police? Like, is a family fight an appropriate time to call the police? Yes. Not always, even though that's something that would have happened in their culture before. Wow. Um, We've also had an experience where kids would wave down the bus by getting in front of the bus and waving their hands in the air. And um, we had an experience where the bus driver was very upset at how disrespectful that was. Wow. That's normal to them. No idea that that would be disrespectful. Yeah. 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 So we learn new things to put in there every day. Oh, I bet you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just because you teach it once does not mean it's remembered as in, my experience, I mean, we can go over the same information for weeks and every day it sounds like it's the first time they've heard it because it's so new. It just doesn't seep in right away. You have a lifetime of culture. culture. Yeah. It's so complicated. Yeah. We've learned this over a lifetime and I still don't really understand how to do my taxes properly or how to buy Mm -hmm. a house Mm -hmm. or even how to set up my electricity bill. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you when you mentioned that you meet them, the caseworker meets them at the airport. Mm -hmm. Is is that caseworker fluent in their language or do they, do you have an interpreter with you or what is that? So our case managers at our office um, have refugee languages. So we have one caseworker who speaks Burmese, another who speaks Somali, but there's a lot more languages out there than that. So Mm -hmm. if they don't speak that language, they bring an interpreter with them and there is a translator at arrival that they can speak to. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So the refugees have to pay back anything financially? Yeah. um, So each refugee gets a travel loan. Um, I, okay. We can look up how much money it is. I think it's about 1,500 per person. So this travel loan is, basically just to cover their flight and they will go on a payment plan to start repaying that travel loan once they have had a little bit of time to get established in the United States. Um, It's definitely much more of a burden on a big family. So if you have eight little kids, that is a huge travel loan that you rack up. Um, And they can be a little bit more forgiving and they will do a slow payment plan for cases Mm -hmm. like that. But it is interesting. I am not sure why it's chosen to do that particular thing is paid back. Um, Mm -hmm. And then other things, there are forms of cash assistance that they get to use that are not paid back, which I mean, Mm -hmm. normal Americans use them the exact same way and they're not paid back by normal Americans either. So it would be terrible to have those double standards. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's very interesting. Yeah. What is the largest group of resettled refugees here in the Greeley area? Yeah, so it kind of comes in waves. Um, The first group that came to Greeley were Somali refugees. Mm -hmm. Um, They were the ones who kind of all piled in one car together, all drove to JBS together to work and Mm -hmm. really formed their own little community here. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then, we have had Burmese refugees and different subsets of Burmese ethnicities. So there's Karen, Kareni, and Rohingya ethnicities that all come from Burma, but have been um, persecuted in different ways from Mm -hmm. the Burmese community. Um, We also see people from the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's a new one that has come recently. Mm -hmm. And we have Eritreans here as well. Okay. 
What are the biggest hurdles for refugees coming to the United States? Finding a livable wage, livable housing, and the problem of not being employed to your level of education. Yes. Because, yeah, you come from a place where you were educated, you did have a career, and none of those credentials are accepted anymore, and it might not even be in the same language. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to know that you're worth more than what you're being paid and what you're doing. Yes. Um, another thing is just cultural shock and missing your old country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a refugee did not want to leave their old country. They did not want to be forced out of their home. And a lot of times they still have love for their old culture and their old country, of course. Um, so I think there is a lot of longing for people who were just like you surrounding you all the time and longing for the food that you grew up with mm-hmm. and just the celebrations that you used to do and Mm -hmm. I think that is a really a hard thing to get used to is not being with your home or your home people yes yes it is it's culture shock sometimes moving from one part of the country to the other here for us so extending that uh, patience and grace to people who've uprooted their lives and everything about the culture is different is super super important yeah, I think it's really big for the receiving community, us, to understand that. like, mm-hmm. They're not, oh my gosh, so excited to be in America and to profit off of America. Like, yeah, it is exciting and it's a great opportunity, but they're really longing to be mm-hmm. in what they're familiar with. I know so many of the very first things I hear people ask refugees are, are you so happy to be here? Yeah. And it's kind of a leading question. They kind of have to say yes because mm-hmm. they don't want to offend, you know, yeah. their uh, the person asking the question. Right. When in reality it's so much more complicated. It than is. That. It truly is. There's thankfulness mixed with sorrow, deep yeah. loss and yeah. And all um, the trauma that you've been through. The trauma. I know. I was always very nervous as a teacher of both immigrants and refugees to ask for this their story because yeah because of the trauma specifically. Um, I wanted to respect their wishes and when they were ready to tell me, I would listen. But Mm -hmm. sometimes asking, you know, tell me about your story. How'd you get here? Sometimes that brings up things that they are not ready to deal with mentally or psychologically or physically or emotionally. Yeah. I think that has been one of my struggles working in this environment is, especially when I'm doing these intensive plans about what you're going to do with your future, is finding that balance of getting to know them on a personal level without re-traumatizing and being sensitive to what they've been to. That must be so hard for you. I would have difficulty just trying to ask students, so what is your goal for being in this English learning class? I can't imagine. I mean, everyone's like, to learn English, of course. Right. Like, okay, or what even is beyond that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I can't imagine for you to come up with with larger life goals. How hard that is to convey that idea that you do have a choice. You it's can control idea. that. Yeah, that is a foreign idea. Maybe a, a very typically Western idea. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially because we can have such a nice life here, and we can make our life whatever we want it to be. Um, And these people, a lot of the times they haven't been in that mindset in years. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you have to be very patient and have to dig a lot 
and almost cross uncomfortable boundaries um, mm -hmm. because, you know, talking about where you're at and how you're feeling is uncomfortable, especially if you're doing it with somebody from a completely different culture than you. Yes. Um, so it takes a long time. It takes careful conversations. It must. Mm -hmm. Wow. You must have learned a lot and how to navigate yeah. that conversation very wisely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, does LFS RM have strong community support? Yeah, we do. Um, and it's been so fun to see. We have several churches that are very supportive of us um, and an, a very large network of churches that will pop in every once in a while and be like, hey, we want to do a donation drive or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, we do have two churches that are very invested with us and make us two of their biggest um, supporters. That is First Congregational Church in Greeley and Redeemer Lutheran Church in Greeley. They have mm -hmm. been so helpful and so supportive of us. Um, not only just advocating for us through their congregations, but also um, doing donation drives and financially supporting us. And it's been really amazing. That's excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. What are the greatest challenges that your organization faces? Yeah, um, and it's similar to our greatest strength, right? Community support exactly. and then community biases. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so... A lot of the community biases come from this misunderstanding and this seeing somebody who is different than you and just being like, why are you different? And not realizing that it's because of culture rather mm -hmm. than personality traits, right? Yes. Um, and so I think breaking down those biases and we see as workers how extremely beneficial refugees have been to the community. They've helped Greeley out financially in major ways. Mm -hmm. They contribute culture, they contribute stores and their own businesses mm -hmm. to the community. And then with their own lives, it's so helpful. And to see their families reunify and see them be able to grow their lives is amazing. So mm -hmm. we see how amazing refugee resettlement is, but a lot of the community sees people who act different and look different from them coming in and they can feel defensive about it. And I think one of my biggest lessons I try to teach is cultural awareness and cultural competency. And, you know, a refugee might come from a culture where time is not a big deal. So being on time is not a big deal. Oh, it's yes. more about socializing. <laughs> we all know this if you've worked with refugees. Yes. <laughs> um, and a lot of times an American will be, will contribute that to a personality trait and say, they're lazy, they're disrespectful, when it has nothing to do with that at all. So it's all I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's actually even a very racist thought to yeah. attribute a character trait as a whole grouping of people. It is. Mm -hmm. It's very individual. It's very, this, I happen to be a lazy person. Not everybody in my, my yeah. city <laughs> is lazy. And we do. We, we, sadly, we attribute it to the whole larger group in general yeah. just because of our biases. Right. And it's a very human thing to mm -hmm. try to create categories in your mind. And it's important to be aware that you're doing that. And it's not always right. You sound like a great community educator. Do you have events where you you go and you speak to the community and you help educate them and, and what you're yeah. doing and the refugees that they're going to see in their community? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I will go to churches mm -hmm. and I'll do educational events at churches where we kind of just explain what's going on in your own community. Mm -hmm. um, we also have events hosted by Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountain. So World Refugee Day is June 20th every year. Oh, excellent. Um, we try to do a community celebration where we bring in 
the refugee community and the receiving community and just celebrate together and eat food and enjoy ourselves. It's really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you able to do it this year? We were not able to do it this year. Oh, so we celebrated a little bit differently. We had a panel of refugees. It was for all of Colorado, but a Greeley refugee was represented in that panel. He actually owns a local restaurant. So it was really exciting to see that. Um, and then we also, Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, did a virtual advocacy day for World Refugee Day. So I got to participate and we called our local senators and just were able to talk to them about why refugee resettlement is so important. So it was a different way to celebrate, but it was very fun as well. Good. And virtual. I'm, I'm glad you were able to find something alternative. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. How can people help or volunteer? Great. Um, yeah, we have lots of volunteer opportunities. So, and they are kind of on pause at the moment due to COVID-19, but we're hoping that they get started again really soon. Mm -hmm. Our biggest volunteer opportunity is called cultural mentoring. So it's a six month program where you're paired with a refugee family that has arrived recently to the United States and you get to be their first friend and their first community welcomer from the receiving community. Um, and it's just a really fun program where you get to intimately get to know somebody who's going through this experience and mm -hmm. help them figure it out. Wow. Um, so that's my favorite thing. And I always yeah. get jealous of when <laughs> I do these meetings to introduce them. I'm like, oh, I want to come hang out too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so our volunteers, they also help with transportation to health appointments. And then we do move-in volunteers. So it is always a big event when we have a new family coming. We all get together take everything out of the storage unit, put it in the new house, set it up. So that's kind of a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. We also take volunteers and in, or we take interns from the community as well. So we get help with job development, um, cultural orientation and quality assurance from interns. And that has been a really amazing help. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. So where can our listeners reach you or how can they learn more about Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains? Our website is lfsrm.org, okay. um, and on there we have all of our volunteer opportunities listed, all of our donation needs, which we have a lot because we furnish full houses. Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes into more about the different programs. You know, it's not just refugee resettlement here. It's a lot of different things. And so mm -hmm. you can see all that stuff, including events and tickets for those events on the website. Excellent. And we'll have those on the show notes as well. Great. All right. Lastly, do you have a favorite resettlement story that you would like to share? Yes, I do. Um, it's hard to pick, but I think my favorite moments have been when I've been able to have conversations on a more personal level with our new clients to just kind of get to know them, really appreciate their own personalities and their own strengths. This story is such a small little story and it just really sticks out to me because it was in the beginning when I was first working here mm -hmm. um, I was driving a new arrival to their first health screening and he spoke really good English and so we were talking about getting a driver's license and he was talking about how you need to choose whether or not to be an organ donor on the driver's license and I was like yeah be an organ donor. Duh. That just seems so normal to me. Mm -hmm. And he was shocked. Like, he was like, what is this? This seems so almost 
he didn't use these words, but it almost seems sacrilegious to be an mm-hmm. organ donor because you're, you know, destroying your body, which is a holy thing. Mm-hmm. And just to hear that different perspective was something that I had never thought about before in my life. Wow. And a combination of experiences like that have led me to be a lot less ethnocentric. Um, mm-hmm. Just to realize that American culture is not even the majority culture in, in the world, right? There's so much out there and we are not the end all be all. So it's been very eye opening. I am so glad that you mentioned that word ethnocentric. That's super yeah. important in learning to embrace more multiculturalism, to kind of run into our own privilege in certain areas, because yeah. if all we're around is the people who are, look like us and act like us, we never we think get that's the opportunity. What everything is. Yeah. And so like you were describing, you had the opportunity to learn. And so if we would just open our eyes up to these new opportunities, that would be, wow, we could all change yeah. a lot, couldn't we? Yeah. And it's so easy for us to think that what our culture does is right and correct. Yep. And yep. there's no there's no right and correct in this world. And maybe a culture does like to be more family centric and less career orientated like we are in mm-hmm it's something to learn from where we could improve ourselves and find a happier life rather than just thinking it's wrong. You said it perfectly. I love that. (laughs) Love it. All right. So I just have a few closing questions for you that I ask all the guests. Um, Your first one is what is your one best tip for making the world a better place? Such a fun question. Um, But I'm not the expert. (laughs) Um, The, difference making and change making it looks different for every person Mm -hmm. um and you know i have a career in kind of that work and so i'm not as good at it in other aspects because of that and so if you don't work in it maybe you're better at it with advocacy and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um so don't compare what you're doing to what other people are doing um just figure out what works for you and do your best at it um my biggest thing that is so small that I could think can make a big difference is talking about it and, you know, bringing it up to people who are not very open-minded to these subjects and just making it more normal to say, Hey, I had lunch with a refugee the other day and it was mm-hmm. so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that thing can seem so foreign and little different forms of difference making can seem very foreign to people. So making it normal, making it part of conversation so that it's not so strange Um, people follow their speech. And so if they start talking about something, they're way more likely to do it. So I think that can be huge. Wow. That's very wise advice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Second question, what are you most thankful for? I am most thankful for the people in my life. Um, I know that's very generic, but my friends and family are just so important to me. And I have done travel and I have really loved, you know, living in different parts of the world. But in the end, that travel where I get to go visit a friend or I get to go visit my parents um, is the best thing to do. And I really want to continue to focus on that and focus on just spending quality time with those people Mm -hmm. as much as possible. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And the final question, what is your favorite quote? So this quote um, has been on my desktop background for years. I'm not even sure how long I've had it. So Mm -hmm. that's not an updated quote, but it's still a good one. Um, If you Google this quote, they'll say that it's by the Dalai Lama, but that's a lie. It's by David W. Orr. He's a professor, author, and environmentalist. He says, the plain fact, the 
the plain fact is that the planet does not need more successful people, but it does desperately need more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of every kind. And so it's just a reformation of what your goals are. And I really like it. Okay. I'm going right now to add that to my quote page. I actually have um, in my notes section, I have a whole section just labeled quotes. And I think I have maybe Oh, 200 on there. And I'm going to just, wow. that's going to be 201. I Great. love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have a favorite quote, Corey? Out of your 200? Oh my goodness. <laughs> See, that's, that's a hard one to, uh, no one's ever turned that question back on me. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't prepare, huh? <laughs> no, I did not. My favorite quote, it would have to be, you know, on a daily basis, it probably changes. Yeah. Maybe weekly if we want to stretch it. Uh, one of the ones that has been on my desk recently, the mind once expanded by the dimensions of larger ideas never returns to its original size by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Oh, that's awesome. I love I, it. Yeah. Keep learning. Exactly. I think it's keep learning is the uh, shortened version of that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just can't go back to... Like once you've opened Pandora's box, you can't undo that, right? You have yeah. to just keep going and searching and going deeper. And that's what I'm doing right now with this. I'm learning from everybody that I meet. And at the end of each podcast, I wrap it up with, well, what I learned the most from this guest was, um, because it sounds selfish, but I'm doing this for me and maybe other people will learn too. I would like that. But that's how the world works. Keep this is my journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just taking people along on it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I really appreciate your time, Alex. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us and teach us so much. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. I had fun. I really appreciate how Alex's intense love for multiculturalism led her to a career that works to allow those cultures to flourish within the community. Alex and all those working at Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains remind us that the refugees they serve are people who just want a fresh start in life. They want the chance to watch their children grow up in safety. They desire to work and provide for their families. They have dreams and goals just as we do. However, we haven't been forced to flee for our lives as they have. I'm so thankful LSFRM exists to give these refugees a welcoming smile, cultural guidance, and a safe home to start their lives over in. Not that they now face an easy road, there are many challenges awaiting them, but they know they are safe, finally. They have time to process their trauma, earn a living, and get an education. I'm reminded of what Khaled Hussini says, refugees are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, children, with the same hopes and ambitions as us, except that a twist of fate has bound their lives to a global refugee crisis on an unprecedented scale. From Alex, I learned that change-making looks different for every person. I also learned that it takes the work of an entire community to welcome our refugee friends, from the people donating furniture and setting up apartments to those who meet them at the airport as well as those who walk alongside the refugees, helping them adapt to their new environment during those crucial first few months. Thank you, LFSRM, for all your organizing efforts and hard work you do to show that all are welcome here. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.